Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated. Well, believe it or not, today is the third Sunday of Advent, which is called Gaudete Sunday. Gaudete is the Latin word for rejoice. And in seminary, uh, they tell you when you take classes uh, on homiletics, in, in the very first few words of the sermon, you want to grab the congregation's attention. And so I thought there would be no better way to grab your attention than to talk about grammar. And you guys remember conjugating verbs and declining nouns. Well, gaudete is a verb, the conjugation of which is second person plural, present active imperative. So this is an exhortation for you, plural, to rejoice. Or in the southern tongue, for y'all to rejoice. Or if it's very important, all y'all need to rejoice. So whereas purple in Advent, the purple candles, the purple vestments, uh, symbolize, uh, well, first, royalty, uh, the color purple being a regal or royal color in the ancient world, and more pointedly, the, the penance, the spirit of uh, repentance that we should take up in preparation for the arrival of the King of Kings, the rose or pink, I do have some hot pink vestments. Windsor's like, when are you going to wear these, Daddy? I'm like, never. Rose is the color. The rose, the color rose, represents joy. The joy which should characterize the church whose king comes soon. We rejoice today because we're getting close. The arrival of the Lord is near. His arrival liturgically on December 25th, Christmas Day, his arrival in our midst this very hour in the sacrament of his body and blood. And of course, his arrival at the end of the age when he shall put the world right, fully and finally. And we rejoice, brothers and sisters, and this is, I think, implicit in the liturgical aspect of Advent. We rejoice because the Lord is near to us now. Christ has come. Part of Advent is rediscovering afresh the treasures that we have in Christ now. We rejoice because the Lord is near to us now. Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he promised us saying, our Lord is not absent from us. He says, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And God is present with and in us in the person of the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us, whom indwells the baptized. In other words, 
If the nearness of the Lord is cause for rejoicing, and the Lord is always near to his people, then we ought, as St. Paul commands us, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you've enrolled in seminary, grad school to become a minister, or maybe if you want to be a scholar, you're going to have to get an MDiv at some point. You've enrolled in seminary, and your first assignment is to identify the theme or themes in today's gospel, Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. You look back over it, think about what you just heard, and let me ask you, would joy be among the themes that you would list? Let's pull out a few lines. You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Another good one. Even now, the, la- the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. One more, because this is about Jesus. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So you're going to turn your paper in. I hope repentance, you identify repentance as a theme. I hope you identified judgment as a theme. But rejoicing? Joy? So it begs the question, why is this the gospel for the third Sunday of Advent? For rejoice, literally, rejoice Sunday. Well, for one, because John the Baptist, biblically and liturgically, is a sign that the arrival of the Christ is imminent. John the Baptist is the new Elijah. It was believed that Elijah, would imme- he would return and immediately precede the Christ. So John is the forerunner of the Messiah. He's the one who is to immediately precede the Messiah. Thus, when we see John, we know that Jesus is right around the corner. And that is cause for rejoicing. And with this, we also make our final preparation so that we may greet him with joy. And that preparation includes repentance. And repentance is the prerequisite for joy. The two are not mutually exclusive. On the contrary, repentance and joy are inextricably linked. Say it even stronger than that. There is no joy, talking true and lasting and eternal joy, there is no joy apart from repentance. It is repentance, which is a gift from God, that gives birth 
to joy. And joy is the fruit of repentance. Psalm 32.1 Happy are they whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin is put away. Think about it. If our joy comes from the Lord, and it does, we're going to talk about that. If, our, if joy comes from the Lord and his nearness to us, then how can we rejoice? How can we have true and lasting joy if we're far from God? And that's what sin does. Sin separates us from God. Sin disrupts our fellowship with him. Sin quenches the spirit of God, whereby we are sealed for the day of redemption. It quenches the spirit of God within us. And therefore, we can't feast upon the fruit of the spirit, part of which is joy. Part of the fruit of the spirit is joy. Real quick, as an aside, it's the fruit of the spirit. It's not... It, Scripture does not say the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy. No, it's a flavor profile. You cannot have one flavor without the other. They all go together. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is. I want you to think about it for a moment in terms of this repentance and joy. Think about it in terms of bodily health. Not to kind of bring New Year's Eve, because we're all like, okay, how are we going to try to be a little bit healthier <laughs> in 2022 than we were in 2021? But if you want to get into better shape, you don't simply, I know this, add healthy foods to an unhealthy diet. So you're eating, you know, 2,500 calories a day of junk, and now you're going to eat 2,500, you know, calories of healthy stuff too. It's not just, you know, I'm going to do a Big Mac with a side of kale now. <laughs> no, we, we know this. And in, in, in the natural life, there's a putting off of the old. There's a turning away from habits that engender... I don't know, lethargy and, and fatigue and sickness. And there's a taking up of a putting on of new habits that inculcate health. I mean, you stop walking to the fridge and you start walking around the lake. Or in my case, and this happens so much in Florida, it makes me laugh. You walk around the retention pond that they tried to make look like a lake, which is good. And they do a good job. It's like, yeah, this is a retention pond. Okay. Or let's say, I'll give you another example. Let's say you want to read more books or something. You want to, okay, I want to expand intellectual life. Well, you're not going to be able to add book reading to four hours of Netflix a day. You're going to have to subtract from that. So all the more in the spiritual life, and we know this. I mean, this is a lot of Paul's teaching is you put to death what is earthly in you and you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is a 180, that you're walking this way, and you make a hundred, you're walking this way towards sin and death and self. Your life is oriented towards you, and you make a 180, and you turn to the things of God.
Repentance leads to joy. And in verse 18 of Luke chapter 3, the, the end of our gospel, John's message is described how? As good news. The, again, the call to repentance is rooted in God's mercy and love. He wants you to be what he made you to be. He knows better than anyone that the wages of sin is death. So he's calling you to turn around. And this is, as he calls, he calls it good news. It's good news, despite how it might fall on modern ears. In the mercy of God, John is sent to preach repentance so that sinners, so that sinners some examples we get in the gospel, tax collectors, soldiers, can share in the joy of redemption rather than suffer the wrath of the king. And it's also good, it's good news for those who are being called to repentance because there's redemption offered to them. But it, it's good news to those who are suffering injustice. Those who were defrauded by the tax collectors, for example. Those who were extorted by the soldiers. John's preaching is good news because the arrival of the king, the arrival of King Jesus means the arrival of forgiveness and redemption and of justice and of peace. And this, brothers and sisters, is cause for rejoicing. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. How do we do that? How do we share in the joy of the Lord well, first, by recognizing that the source of true and lasting joy is God himself. St. Augustine of Hippo makes this distinction between use and enjoyment. And he says that all things in this world, all created things, are to be used as a means of enjoying God. In other words, we're not to enjoy things in themselves. We are not to put infinite weight on finite things. And if I can add uh, to St. Augustine, which I, I have no business doing, but I'll do it anyways, I think we get it backwards that oftentimes we want to use God to enjoy the things of this world. We have our own vision for what we want our life to be. And we say, God, can you facilitate this vision? Can you make this happen? Instead of understanding and coming to the place that, the tr that again, you guys are probably sick of me here saying it. I'm not going to stop saying it. We were made for God. That is the reason that we exist. All things were, this is talking about Jesus. All things were made through him and for him. It's what we're designed to do is to be in fellowship with God. And so our greatest joy, our only ultimate joy, is that. 
Now, we go through things, and we suffer, and we have hardship. And sometimes when people try to encourage us in the midst of those hardships, we get annoyed. <laughs> Shut up, Paul. If you knew my life, rejoice in the Lord always. I can't rejoice right now. Well, Paul is not issuing this command to the church at Philippi from an ivory tower. Because you see, Paul's joy was not rooted in this world. It wasn't ultimately rooted in circumstances. Had it been, Paul would have been a miserable man because his life was anything but easy. I mean, Paul is sitting in a jail cell writing this book, writing this letter, <laughs> exhorting people to rejoice. I mean, Paul had been maligned and imprisoned and beaten and stoned and shipwrecked. I know a lot of us are deathly afraid of snakes. He was bitten by a poisonous snake. And though Paul's joy, like ours, was affected by circumstances, it was affected by it. Paul had low points. Paul was hurt. Paul got discouraged. We see it come through in his writing. But his joy was not ultimately dependent on the things of this world, on the circumstances which he faced. His joy was, I'll create a word, supra-circumstantial. It transcended circumstances. His joy was rooted in fellowship with God, who is the source of all joy. If we could just preach to our souls, brothers and sisters, that joy comes from the Lord. There might not be much joy in your life. But there is joy to be found in Jesus. And Paul tells us how to cultivate that. He's talking about, and we'll talk about in a second, the relationship between peace and joy. Don't be anxious for anything. But in everything, make prayers and make your requests known unto God. Prayers, supplications with what? Thanksgiving. Cultivating gratitude. So first, we share in the Lord's joy by just recognizing that he is the source of joy. Second, by living with a constant awareness of the nearness and presence of the Lord. This is what it means to pray without ceasing. It's to live the whole of one's life with one's mind and heart lifted up to God. To, to view the world through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To take even the most mundane task and to transform them into thanksgiving and adoration. To know that the Lord is near and to live into the light of that truth. In Philippians 4, where Paul exhorts us to rejoice, to be gentle, 
to be anxious for nothing, where he gives the promise of the peace, peace which passes all understanding. The anchor of the anchor of that pericope, that portion of scripture, I believe, is the proclamation that the Lord is near. We can rejoice, we can live our life with gentleness, we can be at peace. Why? Because the Lord is near. Third, we share in the joy of the Lord by walking with the Prince of Peace. This includes, of course, what was said previously about repentance, but also something of the relationship of joy and peace. Because think about the singularity of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a flavor profile rather than separate fruits. How can you have joy without peace? How, how, how would that work, to have joy without peace? I mean, if you're in a state of anxiety and turmoil, how can you have joy? If comparison is the thief of joy, then anxiety is its assassin. The final blessing of the Holy Eucharist, which you receive week by week, is in part a quote from today's epistle, the peace of God which passeth all understanding, is said. And that blessing has a real benefit to those who receive it. But in order for that blessing to have its full efficacy, it must be received by one walking with the Prince of Peace. In Philippians 4, Paul writes that if you want peace, you must first, instead of worrying, start praying. And then as the passage goes on, he exhorts us to reorder our inner life. Thinking upon things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely. And then in verse 9, Paul writes, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So blessings aren't a sort of, they're real. There's grace that's received through Christ, by the Spirit, in the church, through the blessings that we receive. It's not nothing. But we shouldn't think of it as a sort of incantation. That it's, we have to be in a place where we can receive it. In other words, we'll receive the actual grace of blessing and its benefits when we are habitually walking with the Prince of Peace. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is near and in the life of the church, December 25th, and in terms of the return of Christ, he draws nearer. So let us rejoice because of all that his presence means and because of all that his arrival will mean. And let us prepare for his arrival.
by way of repentance and recollection of his abiding presence and remembrance that he is the source of all joy.